in the Ola Ridge Point Church. I didn't know how to respond to the Ola. It's like our team goes down to Honduras for a little bit. Everybody's like, you come back thinking, you know, Spanish. I only got one thing to say to that. Feliz Navidad. Man, we're really glad you're here. In fact, turn to the person next to you, give them a fist bump, and say, I'm glad to see you this morning. We are excited to be kicking off a new series. If you've been paying attention to all of the service, uh, some different elements to the service. I'll explain what that, all that is about in just a second. Uh, but obviously, like, like I love Christmas on a scale of like the Grinch to Buddy the Elf. I'm just shy of Buddy the Elf status. Uh, like, I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. And, and here's the thing. I know that's not everybody. Some people, especially if they've experienced loss recently, they come into the Christmas season or they come into the holiday season in general, and, and the, the, that loss can feel even more profound in this season. Uh, so literally, our prayer for you throughout this series is if that's where you're at right now, if the fog of grief during the season feels overwhelming, that literally this year the sun would burn that fog away and that hope would be restored. Uh, because we love Christmas. Christmas is often called the most wonderful time of the year. And, and so December 1st happened yesterday. So even those who are like Grinches and say we can't put anything Christmas out until December 1st, we're all there now. We're full on. It's December. And part of that whole activity is getting prepared for Christmas. And there's different preparations that have to happen. Uh, because every one of us, it seems, we want to have kind of that picturesque, that Norman Rockwell style of Christmas. So I just want to take a random survey this morning to see how well we're doing in terms of our preparations. So here's the thing. If you are full, outside of the tree, we'll do the tree separately next, outside of the tree. But if your house itself is fully decorated, as decorated as it's going to be, raise your hand. Who has the house all the way decorated? Awesome. You guys are doing a great job. Who has the tree up and is decorated? Has anybody had the tree fall already this year? In each service, there was at least one. Mine is teetering. I got to go home today and do some work. Uh, and, and so what about this? Obviously, Christmas presents are part of the, of the planning and all of that. Who has already bought at least one gift that is wrapped? Awesome. There's, there's a handful. Everybody else is like, the wrapped part, I haven't gotten to that portion just yet. Uh, how many... Obviously, cooking is a big deal for Christmas. How many have cooked at least one thing of, of Christmas cookies? Awesome, a couple. None made it to the church office. I just want to notice that. Uh, it's okay. We, didn't, we don't need it unless they're chocolate chip cookies. We need them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what about this? Uh, who has watched at least one Christmas movie? Most of us, many of us. Who, how many of it is already the elf? You've already seen elf. What about Christmas vacation? All right, a handful of both. All right, here's the thing. I, I love both sides of Christmas. I've talked about this in years past. I love both sides of Christmas. There's the Christmas parades. The Lakeland Parade is happening this Thursday. I think there's people already putting their chairs out in anticipation of that one. Uh, there's all these different things. We had the tree lightings happen this past week. And, and there's all these different preparations. And I love the preparation, too. But a, a few months ago, we started planning for what Christmas was going to look like this year at Ridge Point Church. And, and I just had this overwhelming conviction of, of this idea that, that a lot of times we spend so much time being so busy getting physically prepared for Christmas. We're so busy getting physically prepared for Christmas that we never slow down and allow our hearts to be spiritually prepared for the celebration of the coming of Jesus. 
that we jump from one thing to the next. In fact, I was so overwhelmed by this that when we were getting ready to leave for Honduras right before the holidays, I said, I don't want to feel the rush when we get home and having to do all this stuff. So way before, kind of taboo in our family, but, but I set up our outside lights way before Thanksgiving just so that the rush wasn't there. Because for each one of us, we can feel that rush of wanting. We put this pressure on ourselves to make sure that for us, and, and if we have kids at home, for our kids, that, that everything is just like we want it to be. And we have to watch these movies. And if these movies don't happen, it just isn't Christmas. And I'm not saying that this, it's bad versus good. I like both of those things. But sometimes we can focus on the one that is not nearly as powerful, it's not nearly as important, and it's not nearly as memorable as the other. And so this year, as we approach this as a church, and as we want to give you resources as the church family, we said we want to figure out a way to, to slow this down. Because the word Advent simply means coming. The word Advent simply means coming. And, and what happened is about 8th or ninth century, the church started to realize the, the need in, in their society and their community to, to focus on this Advent season as being a little bit different. Things get so rushed. They said, we want to slow down. And so about the 8th or ninth or century, they started celebrating Advent as, as the church, as this celebration of the coming of Jesus. And they focus on the five different topics of Advent. They focus on hope and peace and joy and love and light. And they said, we want to make sure that we get these five things down really, really well, that as the rush hits, that we don't lose sight of those five particular things. In fact, there was a song written, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that was written about that time. Most people don't know that song's about 1,200 years old. And we still sing that today as a celebration of the church's observation of Advent. Now, over the course of the last few hundred years, it's been mostly what we consider like mainline liturgical churches that celebrate Advent in a community like this. They have the Advent wreath, and, and they take time during the service to do that. That's something that's not traditionally Ridgepoint Church because we're so untraditional. But I felt like going into this year that we have to find a way. And really over the last 10 years or so, most evangelical churches, most churches like us have, have said, we need to figure out a way to, to make sure we focus on what's significant and in order for us to get there, we have to slow down the service. We have to slow down. Because sometimes life can be emulated by the way that we do church. We come in on Sunday morning, and it's a rush. We're already running behind. We're, we're late getting to church. And, and we get the kids checked in, and, and, and we come in, and, and there's stuff going on. The music, we stand up, and then we sit down, and we stand up again. And then we sit down, and someone speaks to us. And then we rush out the door, and we're on to the next thing. And, and life can be like that a lot. And so we said, we want to do two things. We want to figure out a way during the service to just slow the service down a little bit. To have families come up and, and share scripture and, and share the purpose of Advent and, and to pray for us. And so each week during this series, we're going to have a different family be part of lighting of the Advent wreath. First, the first candle, and the second, all the way to the fifth, which finishes it out. We're going to have a special family service on December 23rd that evening to light the fifth candle of Advent and have a candlelight service here as a church to say amidst the rush, amidst the shopping and the elf on a shelf and all the other stuff that we do, that we want to make sure as a church that we slow things down and focus on what's important. But the second thing is also to give you resources because we believe that in the rush, uh, we've said this for, for years as a church, but, 
But when it comes to children, when it comes to students, we only see them for a few hours during the week. And you're the best children's pastor. You're the best youth pastor your child's ever going to have. You're the best leader of your home, husbands and wives being able to help each other out. And so about four years ago, Louis Giglio, who if you follow our Right Now Media stuff, if you watch, you probably watched a sermon to his. He's a pastor up at Passion City Church up in Atlanta. Uh, incredible speaker, great communicator. But about four years ago, he wrote a book called Waiting Here for You, An Advent Journey of Hope. When he first wrote that, we went through that with our family that particular Christmas. And we said, as we go into Advent this year as a church, we want to make these resources available. There's only a handful of these left. Uh, they're only $7. But it's a great way amidst the rush to be able to just say, let's slow down. Uh, if we have time for those other traditions, like, let's make this really, really important. And in fact, I want to do that during the service. This is a little bit different, but I want to read uh, a pretty long excerpt from the intro to this book as we talk about Advent. Uh, he begins with a verse in Micah 7, 7. It says, but as for me, I will watch expectantly for the Lord. And then I'm going to read quite a few paragraphs just to, to, for us to understand this is what the book's about and, and, and for us to get in tune with this is why we're celebrating Advent. He says this, Advent simply means arrival. In the case, in the case of Christmas, we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the greatest gift ever given to the world. For on a chaotic night in the little town of Bethlehem, a miracle happened. Down the slope of a hill in a cave carved out by wind and rain, a place where animals took shelter from the storm, a Savior was born who would take away the sins of the world. But Jesus didn't arrive without wait. While you and I simply turn the page, moving from the, old, from the end of the Old Testament promises to the opening of Matthew's gospel, it wasn't quite easy, that easy for them. 400 years of silence span the gap between the final prophecy spoken in Malachi, the last Old Testament book, and the birth of Jesus. Imagine 400 years without any recorded word from God. No voice, no prophet, nothing. Imagine the agony of waiting and the struggle to keep faith in the promises given long before. You can almost hear the questions being passed from one generation to the next. Has God vanished? Was he ever really there? Was faith in him just a waste? Suddenly, when the time was right, Bethlehem's fields lit up like a noonday sun as angels proclaimed, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men on whom his favor rests. The wait was over, the silence broken, heaven unleashed thunderous applause, and in a feeding trough, Jesus was born, God in human flesh. The Son of God had become the Son of Man, Emmanuel. God with us. Christmas is a story of longing fulfilled. That's why it gives us a reason to celebrate the goodness and nearness of God in the midst of our waiting seasons. As we struggle with our own sense of silence and as we strain to see God at work in our convoluted lives, Christmas urges us on by reminding us that God will come through on his promises. Sadly, the frenzy of what we call the holiday season is a mad dash of tinsel and toys driven more by consumerism than anything else. Ironically, the season that marks the arrival of the Prince of Peace has somehow begun to leave us feeling frantic, stressed, alone, and ironically, peaceless. If we're not careful, the season can create a perfect storm of anxiety that will cause us to miss God's voice entirely. But it doesn't have to be that way. If we ask him, God will give us the grace to slow the pace. He will help us remember how loved we are and how trustworthy he is. 
If we wait expectantly for him, God will lift our eyes and draw near to us. He will remind us that waiting is not wasting when we're waiting on his plans to unfold. He will anchor our hearts in the bedrock of his faithfulness. Waiting is not wasting when we're waiting on God's plans. So what we have to get as we kind of go to the season is that preparation is sometimes about what we don't do as much as it's about what we do. For each one of us, we feel like we have to get this rush done, and if, if we don't get everything just right, and somehow in the midst of all of that rush, we've, we miss the significance of what's really important. So sometimes it means saying no to that holiday party that you really want to go to. Sometimes it means the house won't look just perfect for that family photo. It's going to be okay. Because in the end, we want to leave our legacy as something that's more powerful something that's more important, and ultimately, especially as we want to pass on our faith to the next generation, something that's way, way, way more memorable. And so this year, as we begin to talk about the first of these five topics, as we begin to talk about this topic of hope, our goal is that in the midst of the rush of the season, that we each individually take time to slow things down and to focus on what's really, really significant. So today we launch into week one, hoping that hope may bloom again. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about hope. I'm stunned each time that I, I read uh, scripture and it talks about this passage, these passages of hope. I'm stunned because if you look at the Old Testament, the, the people there had this promise that was coming, but there was nothing concrete about their hope. You see, we can look back 2,000 years after the birth of Jesus and even though we, were, we, count on, we count on history and, 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 and books and archaeology to figure out what that looked like, we have a pretty concrete picture of that. They did it. They had these Old Testament prophecies, what they knew as Scripture at the time. They had these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. But they didn't know who he was. They didn't know what he was going to look like or where he was going to live. They didn't really know. All they had was this promise. The promise had never been fulfilled. And so the hope they had was not nearly as cemented as the hope that we have today. Even though you and I, we still struggle with that. You and I, we still struggle in, in the midst of our lives because lives can be convoluted. They can be difficult. And in the midst of that, even though I say that I have hope, sometimes it's very hard for that hope to be real. Sometimes because of how difficult life is, we feel like hope can be gone for a season. We might not describe ourselves as, as hopeless because that seems a little more solid than just losing hope. But at some point in the midst of our life, we can start to feel like, man, I've lost hope. I've, I've, I've been through this, this pain, and, and, and I had hoped that it was going to get better. I was, I was in a relationship, and the relationship was falling apart, and I'd hoped that it was going to get better, and it didn't. I had hoped that the diagnosis was going to come across better than it did, and it didn't. I had hoped that my financial picture would get better, and it didn't. And so because of that, we can identify with a hope that's tough to grasp. In fact, by the end of the message, we're going to talk about how faith and hope have to counterbalance each other. That one gives a concrete foundation, and the other gives vitality to our Christian experience. Both of those are essential. But I want to begin, if you have your Bibles open, open up to Romans chapter 15. 
And I want to begin looking a little bit about the, the promise of Jesus that was to come and how the promise was one that was going to bring hope into the world. Romans 15, beginning in verse 8, it says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. The circumcised were those who observed the Old Testament circumcision, people who were, who were Jew, Jewish by birth as a synonym for, for the circumcised. Christ became a servant first to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He says, he says, here's the thing. We have these Old Testament promises given to the fathers of our faith, and these promises are being fulfilled now. And as he fulfills these promises, these, these promises themselves being fulfilled give us hope. So he says, he tells you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, the promises that God had given to the Old Testament fathers. And in verse 9, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as is written. In other words, in both groups would start to experience hope. As it is written, therefore, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says this, all these prophecies about the coming of Jesus. The final verse in this passage, verse 12, says this. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, being Jesus. Even he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. He says, here's the thing. The Old Testament prophecy that was given was given saying that hope was going to be found first among the circumcised and then among the Gentiles, that for every one of us, that at some point, that longing that we had, that expectation that we had, would eventually be fulfilled in a very tangible way. Someone defined hope as this. Hope is a confident expectation in the future, a contagious enthusiasm about what will come. This contagious enthusiasm, it seems like some people just walk around with hope. They walk around, even when things are difficult, they walk around, they say, but I know things are going to get better. That's that confident expectation that even when things are not the way I want them to be, that at some point they're going to get better. The problem is, is that for you and I, we believe that for at least part of our life. But because our hope is sometimes not a permanent hope that we see recorded in Scripture, but a fragile and broken hope, those hopes can be dashed on a frequent basis. In fact, how many can remember the feelings of anticipation of going to bed on Christmas Eve, excited about what's going to be under the tree on Christmas morning? Can you remember back to what that felt like? There was a confident expectation about the future. For my brother and I growing up, one of our Christmas traditions was always that on Christmas Eve, we'd go to my uncle's house. He didn't have a lot of immediate family. And my brother and I would go to his house. We'd spend Christmas Eve with my uncle. He lived in the area of my parents. And then we would wake up early Christmas morning because he was a really early riser. I think my parents were just trying to get us not have to wake up early at their house. I was to go to my uncle's house and, and the thing was, my uncle was, especially at this point in his life, he'd consider himself a very refined person. Uh, he'd try to get us as young kids, as young children, to listen to Beethoven and to do these different things that we're not interested at all. 
And every Christmas Eve, he would say, he would gather us together, and he'd say, hey, we're going to go out and have Christmas Eve dinner. You can go anywhere you want. Price is an option. Wherever you want to go, you can go. And he had all these fine restaurants over by him. My brother and I said, can we go to McDonald's? He said, that's where you want to go, and that's what we did. But I remember coming home every, every Christmas Eve night, and he put some music on, and we just want to get up into his guest room and and go to sleep with visions over the next morning was going to look like. We'd open up presents at my uncle's house, and then we'd call up my parents, and we'd head over there and open up presents at their house. The thing was, when I was younger, I couldn't wait to find out what was under the tree. As I've aged, I started to value, I wish I had more time with the family members, some that are no longer even here anymore. Being able to have those experiences, because those experiences are actually lasting in my memory. I don't remember a lot of the gifts. Even though when I went to bed at night, I had all these, I remember the feeling of being excited the next morning. I can remember one gift ever receiving as a child. That was the first ever Nintendo Entertainment System. Some of y'all are laughing. You remember the first ever Atari System. Just saying. But I remember the first year that came out. I remember, like, I didn't really know what I wanted for Christmas. My parents would always ask me, and I'm, I don't know, whatever, I'm good. And that year, they bought me the Nintendo. We didn't really, really know how it worked, and they, they brought it out and had Duck Hunt and Mario Brothers and some of those games, and, and that was the one thing that kind of lasted. But for most of us, the hope we have, because it's a fractured, not a solid hope, often exceeds the reality that life brings. Hope for the better diagnosis, the better relationships, the better financial situation, and reality often doesn't live up to that hope. But as we read the scripture that we read about Jesus, what we encounter is that all of the buildup, all of the hope the world had, not only was it met, but it was actually exceeded in when, when Jesus came. And so amidst the hustle of this season, we say we want to take time out to light each one of these candles because each one of these candles represents a different facet of what Jesus brought into what we celebrate now as the Advent season. He comes to bring hope and not a fractured false hope, but something that actually exceeds the expectation of the people that were longing for him to come. When we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, it's a longing, it's a building up, it's an anticipation of this is what I want, this is what they were longing for him to see. And even in those 400 silent years between Malachi and Matthew, even when they don't hear from God, even when there's, there's no prophecies and there's none of that stuff happening, even in that season as the people long and they anticipated, eventually the hope of Jesus exceeded even the expectations they had prior to him. And so we take time this season to say, we're going to pause. We're going to celebrate. And maybe for some of us, that light of hope will be rekindled in us. You see, back in 2006 or 2007, I was a youth pastor still back in Clearwater. And, and I had a couple of years of consecutive, I had a couple of older groups of students that happened that the two years consecutively. One year I had a lot of mature high school senior guys in our youth group, and the next year, uh, a lot of mature high school senior girls. And, and I remember, I think, as the girls were finishing up their, their junior year, very spiritually mature, very focused, very, there's a lot of vitality. 
But they started coming about, uh, uh, talking about a teacher that they had at, at their local school, at one of the local high schools there. And he, he was a teacher. He's very charismatic. Everyone loved this teacher. And he taught psychology, and he taught some things that were probably contrary to things that the girls believed or, or that we said we believed as a church. And at some point, they came, they said, hey, we really like this teacher. He teaches this idea, and because of how charismatic he is and all this stuff, they were really finding this teaching really appealing. And they started explaining what it was. And as they explained what it was, the teacher was teaching this idea of hope unknown. That because we've all experienced hope that didn't, match, that didn't meet the expectations that we longed for, that hope wasn't even real. And he was pretty dogmatic about that, that he said hope isn't real. And so they came back as, as juniors and were like, hey, we kind of believe this. And we started talking about that. I said, okay, well, let's, let's talk about what, what the Bible actually says about this, though. And I read some of the verses we talked about, and one of the verses we're going to get to in just a second. I'm like, yeah, but, but here's where the Bible says this, and here's, and like, oh, yeah, yeah, we get that. And so they kind of took that back, and they kind of gave an answer to him, and then he gave an answer back. And, and at some point, we even thought there might be a public debate about this very topic, and I was excited about that. It never materialized. But they got hung up on this idea of, of hope unknown. I think most of us can at least identify with that. Because we've longed for something, and we thought, man, when I just get to this point in life, Everything's going to be figured out. And then we get there, and, and, and it's not. And so we feel like when our hopes were dashed, we feel a little bit down. And, and if that happens to us enough in life, it starts to fragment that belief that we have in hope. But a lot of times it's because we're so busy chasing after these things that come and go. We're so busy believing in hope that was never meant to be real. We focus on what is temporary when Jesus came to focus on what is literally, quite literally, eternal. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want us to see the, the difference in these because we're going to talk about this real quick. Faith is the substance, the, the concrete form of that which seems mystical in faith. It says faith is the substance, the concrete portion of hope. And it's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, when it comes to the way that we have this, this Christian experience, both of these elements are really, really important. And I see some of us as, as Americans walking through, going through the motions of life, and some of us have hope, but we don't have faith. And some of us have faith, but we don't have hope. And Jesus says, in order for us to fully experience all that God has for us, both of these things are essential. So as you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's talking about the hope, the confident expectation, but it's also talking about something that's much more concrete, because faith cements hope, and hope awakens our faith. I want you to get that. Faith cements hope, and hope awakens our faith. There are a lot of people in our world today that believe in hope. They believe maybe mystically somehow this is going to happen, but things are just going to get better, and so they walk around with, with a solid hope about their life, there's, a, there's a, a, an expectation that things are going to be better and things are, they're, going to, they're going to do better. But when it comes to faith, they say, I don't really have faith, I just have hope. 
There's nothing concrete about their experience. Meanwhile, I know a lot of people that go to church, and they're solid when it comes to faith. They say, I got down, I believe in Jesus, and I know I've memorized all these Bible verses. I can tell you this and, and that. We well, say, okay, but, but where's your hope? And you can just see all things we're going to talk about this series, hope and joy and peace and love. It's not a part of their experience. They have faith, but they don't genuinely have the hope that Jesus came to offer. Jesus came to offer both. Faith was meant to cement our hope, to give us something concrete we could, we could hold on to. But hope was meant to bring vitality to our faith. You see, if, if that teacher could come into our students' lives and he could say, listen, it's fine, you guys go to church, whatever you do, but that hope isn't real, that hope is unknown. What that teacher's effectively doing is he's coming over to our light and he's snuffing our light out. Because part of the Christian experience is to say, not, not, a, not a mystical, loose hope, but have a serious hope about our life. That when, when, when I, it, it doesn't mean that everything's just going to automatically be better because I follow Jesus. But when we make the statement as a church that following Jesus makes our lives better, but it also makes us better at life, it means that Jesus genuinely brings into our relationships, brings into our walk with him a, a peaceful hope and expectation for the future that even though I might walk through the valleys of the shadows of death in this life, we're not going to have to fear the evil because God is with us. And so we gather together as a church this season to say we want to value those things. We want to make sure that hope and the peace that we talk about next week and the joy of the third week and the love and the light of the final week are things that we celebrate not just this Advent season because it's Christmas, but that literally these are characteristics of our life. Every day as we try to walk the best we can with Jesus. And then we provide opportunities as a church for people to take those next steps. And I was so excited this morning to have Ron and Avery take that step of obedience and baptism. To say, I've given my life to Jesus, now it's time for me to make that public profession of faith. How powerful that is. And as a church, we rejoice when we're part of seeing people take those next steps. Because it's then that our faith is becoming cemented to the hope that Jesus planted in our life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the truthfulness of your word. God, as, as we saw in both the songs we sang this morning leading up to the message, and also in the scripture we read from Romans, that God, you're faithful to your word. And, and, and when, when things around us seem to be moving really fast, we don't know what we can cling to. We cling to your promises because you are ever faithful and ever true. And so, God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your truth. And God, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, you sent Jesus into this world to be the hope for all mankind. Now, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, I pray today is the day they experience that hope for the very first time. That it's not just about following a religion, it's not just about uh, even being a good person or going to church, but it's about giving our lives fully over to you and embracing the free gift you give 
to us, a gift that is saturated with hope. God, for those that are lost and broken this season because of recent loss, I pray that your son would burn through the fog of grief and allow that hope to be rekindled even this morning. God, that through brokenness, Jesus didn't promise this world would be easy, but he promised to be with us. That God, through the brokenness of their life, they'd be able to experience you in a new and a fresh way. God, be with us. Help us live in that hope you offer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.